straight ahead with the 606 Club from Midnight Wednesday. That I feel inside No restraint from your taste I can't lie I know you're bad But I won't apologize Cause I let you in And now you've become my thighs And I hear in your voice That you want me to want you myself how dumb am I got a death wish I want to satisfy but so powerful I can't deny Golden taking you since I'm possible why did I stop I'll never know you got a hold on me and I can't let go But with you, I'm weak Slowly drowning, I'm a shoulder deep You take my will, you're dressed to kill Silent assassin, your threat is real And I hear in your voice that you want me to want you Myself, how dumb am I? Got a death wish I won't satisfy. It's so powerful, I can't deny. Golden shaking you, it's impossible. Why did I start? I never know. You got a hold on me, and I can't let go. I've got a death wish 
welcome along to this week's Straight Ahead Jazz in conversation with myself, David, and London 606 Club. First up on the show this week was a track from China Moses and the Vibe Tribe. As we wait patiently for the release of her next full studio album next year, we just listened to Nicotine, a track lifted from her current four-track EP. Next to play is a track from Natalie Duncan, a Nottingham raised singer, songwriter and pianist. Natalie was at the club with us earlier this week. Her ability as a pianist and lyrical vocalist was noted way back in 2009 at the tender age of 21. Following some TV work, she was signed to Decca Records and produced her first album, Devil in Me, in 2012. And we are about to listen to Atrium, a number taken from her recent album, Free.
Our guest this week is singer Beverly Skeet, who was with us last week. We'll talk about her illustrious career, recent album, and her take on the music industry. That interview and plenty of Beverly's music coming up later on. And on the show this week, we'll also be hearing music from Beverly Byrne, Rob Luff featuring Joe Webb, another guest with us at the club this week, Lauren Bush, and even our first Christmas number two. Right now, though, let's listen to trumpeter Jackson Mathard and Dumb People. Beverly Byrne is going to be our guest in a few weeks' time. She recently released a fantastic album that we've been playing on the show named Dream Dancer. And from that, we are about to hear Let's Dance. Mm-hmm. Let's dance. Put on my red shoes and dance the blues. Let's dance to the song they're playing on the radio. Color lights up your face Let's sway Sway through the crowd to an empty space If you say run, I will run with you 
If you say hide, we can hide. Cause my love for you would break my heart in two. If I should fall into your arms, tremble like a flower. Feel your grace should fall Let's dance A fear tonight is old Let's sway You could look into my eyes Let's sway Under the moonlight, serious moonlight If you say run, I will run with you If you say hide, we can hide Cause my love for you would break my heart in two If I should fall into your arms, tremble like a flower Beverly's lay down of Let's Dance and as I mentioned Beverly will be our guest before the year is out here on Straight Ahead Georgina Jackson is with us this coming Saturday evening all the gig details can be found over on our website 606club.co.uk she began her musical career as a professional trumpet player working for a number of years with many famous faces and big bands in concert halls television and radio however she decided that adding singing to her repertoire well it could be fun so what did she do she went and set up her own band to sing with and the rest as they say is history and talking of great versions let's listen to Georgina and her take on love will keep us together Think of me, babe, whenever Some 
Together, whatever. Keep us together. 
Guitarist Rob Luft is a regular with us at the club, as you may well know. And a couple of years back, he released the album Life is the Dancer. The uh, lineup on that album were Cory Dick on drums, Tom McCready was on the bass, Joe Wright was on tenor, and the pianist was Joe Webb. Well, Joe is going to be with us at the club this coming Friday, and he's going to be joined on stage by the saxes of Alex Garnett and Alec Harper, along with the bass of Adam King and Will Cleesby will be on drums. Let's take a listen to Berlin from that album that I just mentioned.
Berlin from Rob Luft featuring Joe Webb, who, as I mentioned, is with us at the club this coming Friday. And those gig details can, of course, be found over on our website. So it's time on this week's show that we get to meet our guest. And as I mentioned, that is singer Beverly Skeep. We've got plenty of music to play from Beverly. She's been in the music industry for many a year. But we're going to start off with a track from her most recent album that was released earlier this year, recorded and made during lockdown, as we're about to hear. And the track we're going to listen to first up is What A Way To Start The Day. Straight ahead, jazz and conversation. What a way, what a way, what a way. Thank you. 
So I mentioned a little earlier on, I've, I've got a feeling we're going to have a right laugh with Beverly. Beverly Skeet is joining us on Straight Ahead this week. Beverly, hello, welcome along. Good, good. Hey, listen, we're alive. And Indeed. Back working again, not like it was before, but we're so grateful and so happy to be out, you know, doing what we love best. So, yeah. Well, okay, let's start back to front then. As you've brought up the issue about not as it is before, obviously, I know you've you're gigging again regularly. Uh, are you finding there's a difference either with the way the clubs feel, with the way that the punts and the audience feel? Is it uh, the, the interaction between you and the, the audience? Is it different now? No, I think people are so desperate to be back out, you know, anyway, mm. among people. And also, I'm very fortunate because I have like a small fan base of people who they pay attention to, you know, when I've got a gig and blah, blah, blah. And so, when I book something happening, they will come because, you know, they, they come for me, mm. which is really great. I mean, it's not like thousands of people, but, but, it's, uh, but it's enough to, um, to make it worthwhile for me, you know, seeing people that I, that I, I know their faces now. And, and, and those same people, um, fans in general, I think, if they're into something, um, when they can't, you know, get to see those people that they're into, it's like, for them, it's like age. Mm. You know, so they're all, I think most bands will say they're having a pretty good time also because it's coming at near to Christmas. And, yeah. And, and people don't know the unsurety, I think, has changed things a bit because um, venues, the one thing I will think has changed, they're less venues. Lots of venues did not make it through the COVID. And so... The, the ventures that did manage, like the Six and Six, who managed to do live streaming and, mm. and things like that, mm. and Ronald's, um, they managed to keep going, but others who closed didn't. And so lots of people have transferred onto those things, I'm sorry. So those venues are doing better business now, I think, because even the Six and Six, sometimes business was great, sometimes not. But I think people in general are very, surprised at sort of the quality of the stuff that they could get because we were spread out people were spread out mm. going to different places so it's more concentrated it's more, now yeah it's more concentrated now, which isn't necessarily it's not great for those people who went under but it's not necessarily a bad thing for people like me because now the following has got a little bit bigger no one of the I know the high name casualties was the hideaway they went didn't they I know this talk they might be coming back somewhere, but I know they were one of the big names. It certainly went, weren't they? Yeah, I was shocked, but I, I think they were contemplating closing before COVID happened for renovations. Mm. It makes me wonder whether they've taken this opportunity to, and that they're going to come back fighting or renovating because, you, you know, it was an old building. And sure. Things. So I get the feeling they've taken this opportunity to do that. So let's uh, look at your history then, shall we? A London-born girl, Paddington, I believe, right? Yep. So obviously that's a really multicultural kind of area. So I'm guessing you were exposed to a lot of music just around, well, London, clearly. And mum and dad, were they into music? Did you have much at home? Really, my dad worked with British Rail. My mum was a nurse. Mm-hmm. And um, to, 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 to be honest, some of my uh, uh, growing up was in Barbados because when I was about five, my parents, as lots of parents, were around the, you know, stresses, um, and um, they decided they wanted to split up. And in those days, 
and you sort of, you sent the children to the West Indies to fight. And um, while you were going through the, the bad times. And so we went to live, my brother and I, we went to live with an aunt. And we went to live with my grandparents, first of all, and think they were a bit old. And so my aunt said, you know, she could do this. So, so we went to stay with my aunt. And I, um, I got into, my, both my brother and I, we got into grammar schools there. There. My first sort of foray into singing was I won uh, an inter-island sort of singing competition, um, which I sort of entered because I had a singing teacher who absolutely just had this faith, uh, you know, sort of heard me sing, humming something in the hallway. So, you are not to go to the music class, why not? You know, so I got enrolled. And then I sort of started, you know, learning music and, and um, she was trying to steer me into doing classical music and because she was, um, obviously that was her passion mm-hmm. and she was, uh, she sang classical and hadn't sort of managed to do as well as she wanted. So I suppose it had been vicariously through me. But those early uh, teachers can be so important, can't they? Just having the belief yeah. in students. You know, the amount of musicians I've spoken to that have been really lucky, oftentimes it's a piano teacher, but just have that first teacher that shows a little bit of belief in them. Yeah. Well, I'm grateful to her mm. because had I not, had she not sort of, you know, like stuff with me, why aren't you in the music class? I wouldn't have been studying. And I'm just betting I, you can still remember her name. I'm just betting you can. Mrs. Brassett. There you go. There, there you go. I just knew you would. <laughs> I was useless at school, so I've literally wiped all of my teachers' names from my head. But <laughs> no, exactly that. So you won this inter-island singing competition. Was that your first? I know it's your first foray into singing, but what about performing? Because oftentimes singers are also performers, aren't they? Had you done any stage work or? Not really. I'm only in school. You know, in school playing some school singing things. But then um, when, when I got to about 15, then um, my father decided, okay, it's time you kids can help. You know, he was settled, remarried, and, uh, and it was like, no, I was about 14. And, um, and he said, right, well, um, you know, I'm sending a few kids. So we came back. And I went to Elmstone, which was the Kensal Rites, mm-hmm. which is no longer... So where I was born, I know Greg, this and school, <laughs> I went to on I'm seeing a pattern here. <laughs> where Beverly's been, <laughs> they get demolished. <laughs> and then, and yeah, and I did um, sort of took part in, actually, it's the same school that um, high tension. Because I think she's right, quite okay. chap. And, um, and it was uh, one of those schools where... Um, it produced a lot of actors and musicians and singers, me being one of them. And, uh, and they were really very interested in, in music, basically. So that was the encouragement. So is it um, that that school had an interest in performance, although it wasn't a performance school, they clearly... It really was, even though that wasn't really what they were all about. Mm. They excelled because they had really good uh, music teachers and, and good art teachers and... You know, anything to do with the arts, they, they really had a handle on it. And I had some really happy times there because of that. I mean, that period of, of London and, and obviously the Brit Funk period that was going on then, I didn't have a name, I would assume back then, but what a time, looking back now, what a period to grow up in. 
there was such a presence in music, in soul music in England, wasn't there? Soul and jazz funk. It was huge. And such, such a presence. And I think that's what's missing now because it wasn't really, there was, I mean, the soul funk thing was huge, but music in general, you know, was so important. So when you were, I don't know, uh, punk rock, or whether you were... New romantic or whatever, yeah. You new romantic. Music in general was so, so important. So, I mean, I, I got... I used to sleep away from school and go to uh, uh, Crackers in the afternoon, Friday afternoon. Friday afternoons. Well, she used to go to Crackers. And then... Stunk that legend. Oh, and that got me into a kind of... Uh, it, it kind of got me into... into more soul, because before I think it was kind of a, a my test, I suppose it was a amalgamation of like musicals and the things that my dad liked and mm-hmm. your star and and my my mum would like things like Fricks and Nartrude. So so my um, my knowledge was was quite eclectic. Mm-hmm. But I got into soul really big time. Because I loved dancing at the time as well. So I would go to these clubs and it would be like a competition, you know, and everybody doing their best starts and all the latest moves. And, um, and then I thought, I'd love to sing this kind of music as well. You know, so um, I met a guy called Andy Soika in a record shop in Harlst. He owned the record shop. And he also ran a little label called Elite Records. And he also had on his own, label atmosphere oh right wow yeah another big defunct band of course yeah but he signed he signed to this little label because a friend of a friend a friend of mine said i don't think this guy in holes has got some label you know you should you want to do that kind of music you should go see so i saw him and he he signed me up and i started sort of making records with him and then I had a brief sort of uh, contract with the AMR after English, which didn't work out because they didn't really know what to do with me. Mm-hmm. Because I, I like, what was the introduction to AMR? Because suddenly you've gone from a small label to clearly a well, very big label. So because um, basically, because of the small, because of the things that I was doing with Ian, I was now going all the day the day trippings with um, Tevin back and doing that kind of. Thing with while looking singles, you know, and going to press to, to do the old days, yeah, with my singles and stuff, yeah, yeah. And uh, there was this guy who was at Preston who said, I've got a mate, everybody knows they have a new song, I've got a mate, and somebody who knows, <laughs> and he said, You would love it, so you would love the single, and that's the way I got sort of a, a, a small deal with him. But they did, as I said, we didn't really know what to do. Um, because by then, I started realising that I loved blues and so Right. So as it complicated, I where to put you. Yeah. And I saw all the things that I wrote, because I always, I've been writing for you. All the things that I wrote were all blues and not really commercial stuff mm. for them. Mm-hmm. And trying to, which tried for a bit to, you know, match me up with writers and blah, blah. But to cut a long story short, so I, I got dropped. But, um, you've also raised me. We still are a very young lady at that point. Yeah, I'm still pretty young. And, um, and pretty still, I went back to E 
Because uh, I, when I when I had that sort of contract for a while, I was out of the contract with the Ted mm-hmm. and he and and Andy was angling for another because the the, the, the singles that had done underground said that had done pretty well, and so he was kind of well, okay, you know, I, I want you to be happy, so you want to come back, let's do it. So I went back and uh, I did a few more things, and 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 actually one of the one of the things that came out of being with you in life a bit was that I then, though, got to meet people who I would never have met, who sort of kept saying, do you want to go on tour? I'd love you to go on tour. So I went on tour and met for positions of all. So this is doing backing vocals, BVs, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I did an album with them, you know, so I did some backing vocals for them. I went on tour. I never thought, Actually, bad life, and um, you know I could see them. They couldn't go anywhere, and I could shop in and do whatever I wanted to do. And I was still getting to travel. Actually, I don't know if we're in that bothered about having a deal. So I then started going from a tour to tour, basically. You know, I, I went from that to climbing Fisher. Because obviously, I guess your name gets out, doesn't it? Beverly's yeah. great. She's great to have on tour, great to be around. And so then you get a rep for yourself. Then you get a rep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a Fisher to the Palace Warrior, Maxi Priest. I was sort of, I did, actually, whenever you be a wall, mm-hmm. that's me on the back of course. And, uh, and, uh, and then I worked with, I worked on an Elton album. It's, and it's all... Because it's a network, mm-hmm. and people get to know who you are and what you do. And so I was then going from tour to from tour to tour, and that's how I eventually ended up. I, I was with Lenny called Carmel. Do you remember? I, I don't know. She had a song called "Bad Day, Bad Day, Bad Day," baby, and like a bluesy kind of. It. She lives in France now, but that was like a big hit here. Mm-hmm. And uh, and. From that, I met Carmine Anderson, uh, who just then finished, who had just gone out on the road. Mm-hmm. And um, I worked with Bobby Anderson, her, he, she broke his hand and basically took to back up on Carl. And so I started working with Carl. Um, and I went sort of, after that tour finished, I went straight into Eurythmics. Wow. So, yeah. Uh, it sort of was escalating and I was doing, you know, I was never at home basically because sometimes I was doing like, you know, two, three, four different things a year um, and enjoying it. Mm. I mean, you mentioned some of the names. I, I know Annie Lang, you met Chaka Khan, I think you've worked with as well, right? Yes. Well, Ch- actually, Chaka came before, um, before Kai. Mm-hmm. I'd forgotten about Chaka. That, so that that's, was, would that be when they come over here and they have a pickup band that they have then? She was based in Germany, and yeah, they, they had half German um, and half American. With two, with, with, there were three backing vocals, Claudia Fontaine, mm-hmm. who, uh, who did all the um, Elvis Costello stuff, um, and Tahara Karen who did all the Elvis stuff. And um, so we had her, myself, and a Singapore candidate, Mackenzie. So we stayed chat up for a bit, and then it was myself and Claudia who did it for a while longer. And then I kind of moved on because uh, I don't know, it just it just happened that way. I moved on from Chaka. I did a couple of things with Anita Adams for a while. 
And then, and then, kept moving. You know, wherever people said, look, come and, you know, would we do the gig? I was enjoying life and enjoying doing it. So. Is there any kind of unwritten rule in the world of a, a, a backing vocalist, as you were obviously clearly well known at that point, of branching out and doing your solo projects? Um, or, or do they not expect you to go front and centre? Um, I don't think so. Juno you know, Annie was really supportive. Lennox, that is. Um, yeah. yeah. When I, I, um, I did the Rhythms tour, then I went on to tour without two or three tours without and when I met when I met Bill Wyman, which we'll talk about in just a moment, yeah. Um, I was doing. Um, I was still with Annie, having a great time, sir. And but I now started writing stuff again and feeling that blues pull again. And I was. Um, I we, we were on a break, and I was in the studio with a, with a group with a guy called a producer called Stuart S, who was producing the mountain. And I was working on the Elton stuff in studio. He said, I work with Bill Wyman. He's doing this, this uh, all star out with George Fenning and Gary Brooker and Peter Frampton and Albert Lee. And we called Rick, you know, Broad Tough all, all these names. Bit of a goose who, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He said, We've got no winning. We've, we've got, we've, he asked Chaka, funny enough, to do. I can't remember, it was some bit of a blues song that he asked her, asked her to do. So she was the only woman that was featured on it at the time. And um, and he said, oh, he would love your voice. And, you know, and you fancy sort of, you know, going to seek. And I thought it was to do be beats for, or for, the, for this bad tune. Why not? And I and I got there, really. He, he sort of said, oh, well, I am... Um, I was listening to Stuart playing some of the stuff that he did BBs or a really luckless. But I'd like to hear what he really sounded like. So could you sing this song? And I am and I sang song. He said, Well might you that as a damper for for Chuck. And Rick said, Yeah, no problem. So I sang the song. And he said, Oh, I love it, you know. Um, did some more stuff and including some BBs up, wait, oh. And and about three days later, he phoned himself and said, uh, we, sh- we were going to submit the tune to, to Chaka, but actually, we love what you've done and, and we don't know whether we, we can hear any difference because we've... You may have your own, yeah. So um, would you sort of, uh, you know, would you join the band as the only female voters? Huh? And still at that point, thought, well, it'd be great, you know, going on the road with these guys at that point thinking I'm doing fucking locals. And um and he said, Right, well piece of the songs, you know, and once you sing and if there's anything else that you fancy and I pretended like I'd known all along this was The penny dropped it, suddenly that you vocalist not doing BVs. Yeah. Yeah. It would been, you know, this sort of section of bed. And this is the the Rhythm Kings, right? And this was the Rhythm King. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and there I stayed. Um, That's a big part of your career, right? Huge, mean twenty years. Wow. So, yeah. am I right in thinking that blues is also Bill's actual true love? That was the music oh. he wanted to play. Yeah, is the encyclopedia of blues. He likes. Is is it skiffle? Mm, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the fifty stuff, oh, isn't it? Yeah, skiffle and blues. Mm-hmm. That's. He absolutely could tell you 
where it started, who sang what, what year. That's his forte. And so he presented me with like all these things. Um, Cause I've done with the Rhythm Kings. I don't know if you've got any of the out. No, I don't. But uh, versions of like Cry Baby, the Etta James song. Mm. Oh, loads of I Just Want to Make Love to You. Um, I've done like versions with the Rhythm Kings of all, all, all of these songs and things from Diana Washington as well. So some of the classics, some of the big, big stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. And even I did, which I sort of swallow every time I think about it, one of the last solos that George Harrison ever did was a solo one. I did a version of Love Letters for the Rhythm Kings, which actually, if you go onto YouTube, you can see people fall back the Rhythm Kings. Oh, like Good Morning Breakfast or something. I sort of see it recently. And, um, uh, that was the last solo that George Harrison ever did. Wow. He did that. He, he, I don't know if he was there at the time or what. Not long after that, he, he died. He's still got one lovely. He's fantastic. Have you noticed industry change much? Because the, the period you're talking about just sounds to be almost like a housing period where there was gig after gig, tour after tour, band after band. And presumably, the, the the word we're not allowed to mention our music. There's money to be made as well. You could actually make a living out of it, which does feel as if that certainly has changed a lot recently. Unless you're at the very, very high end of the business, it's carving out a living, which is tough, right? It's changed because commerce has affected every single whatever job you do. Mm-hmm. So the the aim is for those who are at the top to make as much money as possible. And basically that's what happens. Mm. So in the old days, when you, when an artist sold merchandise, that money belonged to the artist because the record company were making absolutely fortunes mm. from selling vinyl, later on CDs, you know, so it, there was, there was no need for it. But as that sort of, especially since download, What's happened now is that the record companies no longer make as much, well, they do, but not as much as they would like to. So they now cash in on the merchandising. They cash in on when people do gigs now. It's record, it's, it's, it's all to do with the record company. And they get, you know, between them and the artists, get the night share. And for us, it's usually a buyout. Mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't done it for years myself because I, I, after working with Bill, I just decided to go so do I it. But I do know that um, it's not the same. Um, people don't pay the same for end of money. Um, and they're not treated the same. There was a big separation between the artist and, you know, the, the, the band at the backing vocals and that now. We're just the sort of, I don't know, the, the we're just the necessity. Mm. And a lot of time now, we're not even a necessity because lots of things are a
We shall have more from Beverly in a short while's time on the show this week. And the track that we just finished up with there on the first part of the interview was her take on Unchain My Heart. So I mentioned a little earlier on that we were going to listen to some music from Lauren Bush and her great album, which is called All My Treasures. And that plays next on this week's show. This is I'm Old Fashioned. Straight Ahead with David Lewis. I love the moonlight I love the old-fashioned things 
you want to catch our interview with uh, Beverly, that's still available on my Mixcloud page. You'll find it over there along with all our other interviews from the course of Straight Ahead this year. So it is back to our guest this week, Beverly Skeet. And we're going to go back to 1995 now as we get into the second part of the interview and Beverly's album, All My Dreams. And from that, a song that I think you're going to recognise, Any Old Sunday. 
I've, I've spoken to some artists who've been on tour with some very big names recently, and they said, we don't actually even get to meet the headliner. We're in a different dressing room, different part of the, you know, we get together on stage, and that's kind of the only, which sounds wrong. How can you build up a rapport, an interaction, a relationship, if it's going to be that sterile that the only time you really meet is on stage? It just sounds wrong, doesn't it? It would have still on purpose because I fancy uh, bands are transitory now. So before, if you look at even people like Paul McCartney, who's they've got the same, he's got the same people blessing that he had years ago. Um, they don't, you know, you don't see anybody who started off with, you should watch anybody's, any recent parties. The people that you see in the band this week aren't in the band mm. And that's, to create, I think, insecurity because, um, to, because you were not integral really to the whole thing. You were, you, you, you are my place. Very disposable. You're disposable, so that's to make you feel like disposable. Now, it's interesting because a question has just come to mind. I happen to know your daughter's in the business as well. Yes. So from the perspective that, and the knowledge that you've had over the years in the business, did you have any advice were you aware of her getting into the business at this point in time or did you still think you know what if you've got the talent and you've got the love it's still a great game to be in no I said don't do it both of them were in business now. Oh, I didn't know both right sorry and they're both um, Sam still occasionally works with uh, um, Penny Goldie mm-hmm. she works with she's in Robbie's band mm-hmm. and uh, then she works with Emma sometimes and Maz is doing Soul to Soul, and they're actually both of them doing Soul to Soul together. Um, I would prefer if they'd got different jobs because it's much harder. Mm. I looked at, so when Sarah, who's the eldest, was, was younger, I could give her a little helping hand, and you know, because they're both really good. So I could say to people, look, you know, try them out, try, try her out, see what. There is no helping hand to be had here. It's really every man for himself. And producers have moved on um, since I, I knew, you know. And um, things have done. DJs are now producers. Um, musicians aren't necessarily engaged in music as much as they're only, you know, only for the making of music and sometimes only there. Mm-hmm. So it's a different world. And um, sometimes a thankless kind of, you know, world. Mm. But they love it. And, um, yes, I find supportive. And clearly you, you've got really strong opinions on the business. So where would you stand on the streaming? I know I mentioned download, but the streaming now. I've had different perspectives and different views and inputs when I ask artists about the whole streaming culture. Do you think it's the death knell? Is it all bad or... Where do you stand on that's it? That's for the, the artist, the small artist. That for somebody like Adele, no. Mm, clearly. For somebody like me, yes. You, you know, when you see how much we get, you know, from one CD, it's quite, it's from mm. one down. Mm. But the upside, more people are exposed to your music, so... I think, for me, how it works, it doesn't work in monetary terms. And, you know, I don't get a lot from... No, no, no. The latest things I've, re- I've released, then it's not as good as it can. 
really it's about the geeks and people knowing about you, even from, you know, some, you know, people learning, hearing the voice and they told me, let me tell them that, that you, uh, yep. and they think, oh, I'm trying to get along to that geek. You know, mm-hmm. I've never heard of it. So in that way, I think that's good. But as a way of sort of feeding your family, no. But you've steered us perfectly around to two things I wanted to talk about. As of recording this, you're just about to have a gig with us down at the Six. And of course, early this year in the summer, the early summer, you were kind enough to send me through an advanced copy of your latest album as well, Liberty, weren't you? So the album, when did that come to fruition? Was it a, a lockdown idea or do you already start before lockdown? No, it really happened during lockdown. And also, it started off, I will be honest and say, it started off as something to keep me busy. So my husband and I, we, we have a studio. And um, luckily, and it's, it really is a piece of fortune, during lockdown, films still wanted, they were struggling. And obviously, um, most films are recorded in um, Abbey Road or Amy Purse, places like that. And obviously, you know, they weren't allowed to record. Mm-hmm. So then uh, I had a producer who I had worked with because I worked on the Simon Jackson show. Is that the, the Hitman? And, Hitman, yeah, yeah. And Spider And um, uh, the, the, the guy who, who was the director of Asset rang and said, listen, they've got, we've got some other things that, you know, could you, we know, you know, from talking to you that he's got a studio and we need a few things done to be able to. So we started doing that. Not, not many things, a few things here and there, which kept us busy. And, um, and then by going into the studio, doing those few things, it was like, hmm. Got the juices going. And we might as well just start writing mm. and doing things. So um, I wrote, can't do right for doing wrong. And um, I then just got back in contact with Paul McLean, mm-hmm. um, who, who, as I said, went to Hell Soaps for them. And then he, he said to me, he, he said, he sent me a track of his to do. And he, and he said. Oh, for his, for his project. And I put some BGs on. And I said, we weren't working because we were working sort of mates. You know, it's kind of like, well, I'll tell you what, I'll do some BGs for you. You do some guitar playing for me. And it was like, look, so that's how we've been working. And I, I've still worked with a lot of musicians like that for things that I, you know, the little projects that I do at the moment. Mm-hmm. I work on their project, they work on mine. And, um, and so when we finished, after he got the solo, he just kept saying, I think you should just release it. And I said, well, I haven't played anything else. And he said, I said, no, I think you should just go with it. So, um, I, I went with it and released that. And that was last year. I think the first thing was before Christmas last year. That was the first thing. And then I just continued sort of writing. And then I had about five. And, and I was speaking to Paul, and he'd been sort of doing stuff all over it. I said, you know what, I'm just going to write it out. Um, it's because, you know, nowadays, just, you know, they can download it and I don't have to have any copies printed up or anything and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. And I started Liberty 
was really about um, people talking about their freedoms. You know, the whole big deal about, well, you know, you're taking away, taking away your freedom, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, and so I started kind of writing back. And then, but then the rest of the album kind of was about sort of all kinds of different things. And then heaven, my heaven, came when I was talking to Paul again. And I say, oh God, it's such a beautiful day, but, you know, we can't go anywhere. We can't do everything. I'd love to be in the sunshine, you know, with, with, a, with a pina colada. And he said, hey, say, you, you should write a song about that. So I wrote a song about that. And so the whole big watch ideas were just about things that we talked about. And they became songs, really, and became an album. It's been ever so well received as well, hasn't it? It's gone down really well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I didn't know, you know, what to think about it, but, but it has. And as a result of that, my first album, which I don't know if you have a copy of, I have to send you. Please do. Um, that, the stuff on that, which is very much like this app, mm-hmm. something is a bit sort of slightly political, but about the time, um, that's been played a few times on different radio stations. I have it, a song I have, I have a tree. Forgotten the, uh, forgotten the, the, the DJ who played it from Souls. But I happened to turn on the radio and heard it one morning. I thought, oh my goodness, so that's created an interest. An interest into your back catalogue and what else you've done. That's all. So, you know, as I said, I, I'm not going to be retiring anytime soon. <laughs> I would have thought not. You've got plenty of life in you, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's nice to, um, I, I, I like it. I've got, it's something to talk about. Um, and I did it and, and I'm proud that I did it. And, it, and it's, you know, for me, it's made people sort of interested in me again. You can't really want for any more than that. No, and again, it's one of the positives of the lockdown. You know, that they're, they're now all the dust is settling. You know, stories like yours are some of the positives that have come out of this whole thing that you, again, had that bit of time. You were lucky you had the studio, so you had the ability to record and make the album. But nonetheless, you use the time creatively. Rather than sort of wallowing what I can't do, you look to what you could do. And that's, a, 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 you know, one of these great stories that's coming out, out of lockdown, isn't it? Yeah, I mean... The one thing I did um, miss out was in between all of that, the the Ewan Bixon bill, I had a hit, a gap, gap, the call, that gap, Asher, um, which that's opened up, that opened up another world for me too. I was wondering why, why the name gap decor. Explain. I've never heard um, big lines, jazz songs. Right. Called me one day and I thought, just some two things. What do I do? I know that you know. Oh, see that pretty? I never thought of that in some big life. <laughs> and he ran me up and he said, Oh, you know what? I've had some good reports about you and I've got this um, band, Cat Decorum. They've had this underground hit. Um, uh, and they basically, they want to put the degrees in motion song, passion, on top. And I thought, Oh, okay. And, and I'm, you know, I think it, I'm not quite sure if it's because the story is it goes. I think, I think with jazz, I think it was his idea to put the degrees in motion because the guys have had a sport of 
underground people, and they were very trendy. And I don't think they were too keen on the idea because it meant then that they would be commercial. They were fairly kind of, you know, we, we just want to be underground kind of thing. But he assisted. So I did a version of Passion on top of this, on top of the track, the Gatical track. And so I did that and, you know, took some photos and did a video. I never met them. I didn't know who they were. If I'd pass them in the streets, I would. I had no idea. And then I have now, but I bet they were talking about Not a bad first meeting. At number five. And I got a call saying they want me to do Top of the Pops. I thought, wow, well, okay. So here I was now, like, done Top of the Pops loads of times, but, you know, do back of this rubbish. And I was going to now do this, get the call thing. And with these people I'd never met. And um, it was a, the oddest day in my life where, you know, when performing and these people were sort of behind me and there. And it was almost as though, it was that surreal thing of, why are we here? That we can stand where they have these sullen faces. <laughs> why are we here? And, and I'm this Johnny, you know, like, do we know the refusal? Doing the famous backing vocal dance, yeah. <laughs> there is a dance that all you BVs have, isn't there? It's an absolute dance. Because it's a skill because you, you have to stand back and let them be the, the star. So you're always dressed in black. You're always at the back of stage and you've got that BV oh. shuffle going on. And I mean, I've had an opportunity not to be dressed in black, but I felt hollow. I still in black. Action. And then, uh, you know, going back to stage and doing this, doing this whole color, having a great time. And I turn around and I thought, I'm at the front. <laughs> on top of the pops, doing this song, you know, exciting. Didn't reach dawn on, on me until I got hurt. Mm. And then, um, yeah. And so, but the good thing about that is that I now do, I do PAs all over the country. That I have a huge fan base of people who are into house. They absolutely, you know, the house, you know, foggy, are so loyal. Mm. They love what they love. They know every word to that tune. And I go there, you know, I do that same tune now. I do another Degrees in Motion um, tune called Shire. And I look into the crowd and the love from them. I did loads of festivals um, this year all over the country. It's amazing. So you can go I wouldn't necessarily um, go into doing house music again. <laughs> but, um, but I do love how loyal and how, you know, you've, you've got people that, you know, from in the, I don't know, 60s, 50s, you know, dancing around, they know every word to this, to this song. Wow. They can remember where they were when it came out. Yeah, as much as house is never my thing, similarly with soul, uh, you know, I think when you grew up in that era, we did, we knew the words, we had the albums, you read the album art, you kind of got immersed in it, which is yeah. what they say, and I'm, I'm no lad, I, I can understand, I appreciate the digital world, the download, it's fine, it's great, but what you don't do is get immersed into that artist and music as much. Because when you can literally smell the vinyl, smell the album, it, it's just something. I pull out, well, pull out. You could, you can see just a fraction of my collection behind me there. So, <laughs> me too. Mine is in the studio. I was saying this to my husband. You know how great was it 
when you went out and you bought that album, like we had um, uh, Rufus and Shepard Khan mm. album, and then you pull it out and you knew every lyrics, yeah. Like, and you, everyone that played on that. Like people don't even know, they don't even get like a image. Like, people who play on the outburst, which is. Well, Father, you should mention that, or you should probably mention a mutual friend of ours, Phil Ayers, who actually was instrumental in hooking us up. Whenever I play any song, any song, within seconds, he's telling me who the person, the drummer, certainly. Even what, like what symbols he's using, he knows. So, Phil, bless you, your knowledge is second to none. He's great, but again, he comes from that generation of people who are loyal. Mm. They like what they like. Mm-hmm. They know everything about the artist they know he he brought um a thing when i first met phil i think it was down at 606 and he came with a cd the one that, i think it was all my dreams and he said i love gold i thought oh <laughs> i was so touched it's like he, but he could reel off you know oh i could hear that um, you what you were thinking when you you know when you wrote this one and it's, Really? You know, and he's just pretty small Tom. Oh, he knows his own, he knows his stuff, that boy. He knows his stuff. I mean, he's <laughs> yeah, great. Well, we've been I knew that tonight was going to be one of those really fun interviews to run on. I just want to let people know where they can find you, because you're on socials now. You're pretty much everywhere on Instagram Beverly Skeet, and that's S-K-E-E-T-E official on Instagram at Beverly Skeet on Twitter of course you're over on Facebook and you've got a website as well which is BeverlySkeet.com and your latest all, album all Vocophone Vocophone yep that's, uh, they always get mentioned on your site as well and of course the album we've just been talking about Liberty is available to buy it's also available to download via Apple Music <laughs> listen to it on Spotify if you really must do the Spotify thing and uh, you can buy physical you've got physicals if people come to the gigs I have, yes. If they go to the website, website or Venice, Perfect. And you can hear this wonderful woman and her latest project, Liberty. I know I've been playing a lot of it during the course of this year, and it's a lovely album. I didn't know it was a lockdown album, but it makes even more sense now, so I'll listen to it with, with new lights, knowing the sort of background story <laughs> to it. Beverly, it's been lovely spending some time with you this evening. Good luck at the gig. As I say, we're recording this just ahead of your gig at the six, so hopefully you've got all the set worked out, and I am hope it's going to be absolutely blind. I've had- I have my poor um, uh, keyboard player. I had to re- replace him because he, uh, his grand is really in a hospital. So, um, so I, I was just scrambling around before I spoke to you. I've, you know, I've, I've got someone else to, to cover him. So I'm not saying saying set yet. So, who's your line? Who's your lineup going to be before I let you go? Who's your lineup on the gig going to be? Uh, so, I've got Neil Tompkins on guitar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got um, John Jackson on drums. Um, who've I got on bass? Got Pete Williams on bass and Jason Thompson on keys. He's on keys. And Noel McCalla. Ah, oh, the searing voice of Noel McCalla. Yeah, Noel McCalla. He agreed to come because we've known each other for a long time. We never worked together until two summers ago. We did Rory Scott's together. We were together um, for, for a, a blues kick at Ronnie Scott's and, um, and it was it was a hit it, it, it was like oh, I have something out of this world and I kept, we kept saying oh, I haven't worked together before but it's one of these things where you know you can meet somebody and you click mm. and, uh, I, can, and uh, I can hear you two working I, I so can uh, yeah. 
Yeah. So, uh, so I sort of heard up and said, you know, we said we want to hold it together. You fancy doing, you know. Dallas <laughs> Yeah, great. So, so, and my youngest is going to come along and do some. Has she worked on the pay rate? Does she know what she's getting? (laughs) (laughs) Beverly, it's been fantastic chatting with you. It really has. I've been sure to do plenty of your music during the course of the show and the interview. So it's been lovely talking to you at long last. It's been long overdue. I know. You've been sort of doing that community, that communication where I feel now like I've known you for a long time because we communicate, but it kind of feels better now too. There you go. It's face to face. There you go. One on one. Beverly, it's been lovely chatting with you. Thank you so much for your time. Be so gracious of you. Thank you. Thank you, Beverly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
told you I had a feeling we were going to have a laugh with Beverly this week and a laugh indeed we had. Beverly, thank you ever so much for finding the time to come on the show. Don't forget, catch up with Beverly on all of her social media platforms over on Twitter and on Instagram. And the track we just listened to, uh, which was Freefall from her latest album, Liberty, that album is available to download and to stream from all of the normal digital platforms. Uh, Ray Butcher is an excellent trumpet player whose experience includes work with the likes of Dr. John Misha Paris, Robbie Williams, Beverly Knight and Jean Toussaint. He was uh, the trumpet soloist on the Grammy-nominated CD Burning Lights by US Grammy winner Chris Tomlin too. Well, Ray was with us earlier this week performing material from his latest album Lion's Den and from that we're about to listen to the rather aptly named After Midnight. Straight Ahead with the 606 Club and David Lewis. Thank you. 
And still to come on the show this week, we have our first Christmas track too. In fact, that will be coming up after this next number. I'm going back just a couple of years now to uh, a, a track from one of my favourite pianists, somebody we have had on the show and probably long overdue to have him on once again, Gabriel Latchin. Uh, the track we're about to listen to is taken from the album The Moon and I. It is gorgeous. If you haven't added it to your collection, do. And we are about to listen to Arthur Gove, a track all about his little boy.
So I had been uh, promising or taunting you, whichever your take is, that we were going to be playing our first Christmas track. We're now in the month of December, so there's only a few more shows left this year with Straight Ahead. So I thought we should start to gently ease in the Christmas music. I'm going to go back, first of all, to an album that uh, I received last year from Paul Edis. It's a 13-track album. There's some of the Christmas standards on there, just like Walking in the Air, Christmas Day, Rocking Around the Christmas Tree, and this Driving Home for Christmas. Thank you. 
First foray into our festive season on this year's Straight Ahead, driving home for Christmas from Paul Ellis. More to come over the next couple of weeks. Many thanks indeed to Beverly Skeet for being our guest on the show this week. And don't forget, do check out Beverly's social media platforms and also her website too. One of the finest exponents of improv on the sax you are likely to see is with us at the club this week. Trish Close will feature the classic repertoire of Jao Gilberto and Wayne Shorter on the gig with Tom Farmer on bass, Lewis Wright drums, Hamadi Valdez on the percussion and Mike Outram on guitar. It's going to be quite some gig. And we play out this week with a number from Trish and this is time. Thanks for your company and I look forward to catching you next week for more jazz and conversation here on Straight Ahead. <laughs>